down there, it's either me or them, and I was going to make it out one way or the other. What's it like facing death? 60-year-old John Waddell can tell you. He was trapped alone for more than 48 hours in a dark mine shaft, 100 feet down. I don't know if you call it natural instincts or what, but your survival mode kicks in and you apply that to the situation that you're in. The race to survive was on. John had to draw on his earlier career as an emergency medical technician to keep himself going. You could say he's an expert miner, he's had 20 years of doing this, but he certainly never expected to endure anything like this. In that deep, eerily dark and dangerous shaft, John fought against the worst the brutal Arizona desert could throw at him. He was only 90 miles northwest of Phoenix, but he may as well have been a million miles from civilization. Dehydration, venomous rattlesnakes, a broken left leg, hunger, no access to medications he needed. John knew death was coming for him, no question about it. This is Banner Health Storytelling Podcast, Bedside Stories, highlighting some of the most emotionally compelling experiences that take place behind the scenes in healthcare. Today we bring you Episode 5, Survival Mode. It was a Monday morning when John decided to head to the mine. Anytime he goes mining, he lets people know where he'll be and what day he'll be coming home. And I got to the shaft where I was going to go down. I looked at it and thought, that's a long way down there. But I had the right rigging and everything should have been safe. John owns 100 acres of land, including the El Tigre gold mine. He'd explored much of the mine already, but this particular shaft had his interest. John's records indicated there might be quite a bit of gold down there, and he was ready to find out. So I got down, got out on the platform, went down to about the 50-foot level, and my rigging just broke. I don't know what happened. So it was like a free fall for another 50 feet. John slowly rappelled down the shaft, gripping the rope as tight as he could, but he was going too fast. Gravity turned the rope into a knife. Rope burn came next, slicing through his glove, ripping his left hand open. The hole swallowed him up. You know, when I finally hit the bottom, um, I don't know what I was thinking. First thing is survival. You know, I wasn't knocked out. I knew fully what was going on. First thing I noticed was my leg was broke. As soon as I hit it, I saw my leg flip up. And my ankle went the other way. And you only have a short amount of time before the swelling or the bleeding starts in the leg. So I laid back and I was looking for a way of setting my leg. And there was a stick there, so I used the stick, put it inside my boot and pushed just as hard as I could and I set my leg. Shortly after John set his leg, he tried to get his head straight after what just happened. He was in shock. He looked around, taking stock of the eight feet of space that surrounded him. His leg was set but he needed to focus on his broken ankle. So I tried to straighten the ankle out as best I could. I cinched it up and made like a makeshift splint. And that held me for a while. And the ground is wet, uh, damp. Uh, I, of course, shock got in. I started shaking, you know, due to the cold and the shock. Cold weather and broken bones weren't his only problems. 
Next came being face to face with the first rattlesnake. It was close, way, way too close, within striking distance. The diamondback was hiding behind some sticks when John landed. In fact, John realized he'd been close to the reptile for a few moments without ever realizing it. He's still not sure why it didn't strike him when he hit the ground. It's not like he was having anything even remotely resembling luck that day, but still. He counts his blessings. That snake might have been just as startled by John slamming into the ground as he was. Uh, the, the first one was only about a foot long. Um, those, uh, they're real deadly because they don't know how much venom to inject. They just inject all the venom at the same time. Nothing immediately came to mind on what he might use to fight off that snake. Then a thought came to him. Now just imagine this. John pulled out the stick he just used to set his broken ankle and used it as a battle weapon to face off against the potentially deadly rattler. Now check out how matter-of-factly John tells it. So once I got my splint set, I pulled out the stick and started beating on this rattlesnake. I killed that one. And after that one, I laid back down and still trying to gather myself. Uh, there was no light down there. I did have a flashlight. The flashlight went out pretty quick uh, as far as light. And so I laid back and just trying to relax a little bit and try to calm down. And as I was leaning over to the side, I could feel something going underneath my arm. This is a second rattlesnake. I didn't see it, my hearing is bad, but I felt the vibration from his tail vibrating on my arm. And I didn't move, I waited till he got completely underneath my arm. I reached down, grabbed it, and threw it just as hard as I could. And I heard it hit the wall, and again, I take my stick out, and I'm beating the crap out of it, you know, so I don't know if I killed it or not at that point. So anyway, I laid back down, and uh, I was thinking of my medications that, uh, that I didn't take or I couldn't get to while I was down there, which has been lofaxine. It's a uh, depression medication. And when you're off that, after a certain time, you start getting like brain shocks and you know, a lot, a lot of things start happening. And so anyway, uh, the night came and went. Um, I tried to keep it together. Day one was over. John survived that Monday night. Every minute, every hour throughout the following Tuesday and Wednesday brought even more challenges to this whole ordeal. Dr. Cliff Jones, John's primary surgeon at Banner University Medical Center Phoenix, explains the extent of John's injuries. He's a very lucky guy. He didn't uh, bleed um, to death from where his fracture was in his thigh bone. Well, probably dehydration would have been the biggest thing that would have kicked in for him initially, but um, he, he had a femur fracture uh, that was not set or fixed uh, for three days, and, um, which was probably the biggest problem for him. And then a uh, fracture dislocation of the ankle, which, uh, again, we temporized and, and have uh, now screws and plates in there. And so... Probably bleeding, blood clot, shock, dehydration would have been his biggest problems being in there uh, for much longer than what he is. With no water for such a long period of time, John was in serious trouble. Arizona was still in the midst of hot, dry temperatures at that time. John needed to drink something to survive. Just a friendly warning here, 
the next 15 seconds or so may be disturbing to some. If you're squeamish, just tap the fast-forward button for the length of a sentence or two, and you'll be good to go. While I was down there with, with no water, um, believe it or not, the blisters got pretty big. And I was popping the blisters and drinking the fluid to try to get something in my system uh, because my mouth was so dry, it was like cracking. And after yelling, you know, you, you, my, my throat was dry. Uh, I tried taking some rock in dirt and putting it in my shirt and sucking some of the moisture through it. And that didn't really work. With broken bones, thirst, and darkness all around him, John knew he was still sharing space with more Diamondbacks. When I was trying to gather my thoughts, I could hear them rattling. Some of the bigger ones were rattling in the, it was only like an eight foot circle that I was in. And there was 55 gallon drums, there was some bob wire, uh, a few boulders, and you don't know where they're at, but you could hear them. And that's, that's frightening when you can hear them, not see them, and know that they're right there. So yeah, anytime I heard it, I just, even though in the dark, I'm just pounding that stick on anything that, where the noise was coming from. And they can hide, you know, and it's the not knowing which just makes you go nuts. And the third one I was able to kill because I could see it and knew exactly where to try to break its neck. I don't like killing them, but you know, it was either me or them. If I were to get bit while I was down there, I wouldn't be here now. You know, it'd be a lot more problems than what I had. More than 48 hours after falling down that hole, John reached one of his lowest points. His throat was raw from screaming, trying to get someone's attention. He takes daily medication and not having access to his meds for so long brought terrible side effects. He started hallucinating. Stringy shapes that looked like weird animals kept circling around and around inside the mine. But then he started to get this odd feeling. He was becoming relaxed. It was as though he was starting to accept the fact he wasn't going to make it out alive. It's wild though. Just when you think you can fight no more, sometimes fate decides to step in. I was laying there real quiet and I thought I heard somebody pull up uh, with a diesel, with a truck, diesel truck. And so I was real quiet and I started yelling and yelling and yelling, help, help. And finally, I heard someone say, John, are you okay? And I, I broke down and started crying because I knew that, you know, I'm going to get out of here. And I was just so thankful. It was, it was quite a ride. John's friend Terry had started getting worried when he didn't hear from John that Tuesday night. He went out looking for him on Wednesday, and finally he heard his buddy hollering back from the depths, 100 feet below the earth. It took more than a dozen people, hundreds of feet of rope, and more than six hours for crews from the Maricopa County Sheriff's Department to pull John out. Clinging to life, his body broken, he was finally out of that dirt cell. He was airlifted to the hospital for intense treatment and surgery. Dr. Jones said John's bones have all set very well after surgery. Now the healing begins. John should be able to walk again soon, and he'll have regular physical therapy sessions to help with his recovery process. He's extremely grateful for everyone involved in his rescue and medical treatment. 
Whether or not he's done with mining, though, that's another question. The gold he's found as a miner has kept him going professionally for 20 years. It's a lot of hard work. That, that much is definitely clear. But in his eyes, it's been worth it. <laughs> yeah, there's some uh, rock down there that definitely had gold on it. Intrigued me. He knows it's probably time to sell much of his land and find something easier to do. On the other hand, John knows for sure now there's gold in that mine that gave him so much trouble. He hasn't ruled out the chance that one day, quite some time from now, he might just tackle that same mine again. Are you going back to get it? You never know. <laughs> this time with, a, with someone there and a little better of equipment, I just might. Yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing for 20 years, and it's, it gets in your blood. For Banner Health, I'm Corey Schubert, and this is Bedside Stories. For more stories like this, we invite you to subscribe to this podcast. Leave a review to let us know what you think, or leave a note on social media, and we would love for you to share your favorite episodes with friends. For more information about Banner Health, visit us online at bannerhealth.com. Until next time, thanks so much for listening.